We're doing something a little different right now um, in our series here called Believe. We're not so much diving into the Bible, which is my favorite thing in the world, is to enter into a biblical text and to encounter that text. We're not doing that as much, and that's on purpose. I want you to know that. Um, because I'm really wanting to speak in ways that will speak to folks who have really deep questions about even whether, does God, whether or not God exists. Um, and before you get to Romans chapter 5, or before you get to Matthew chapter 3, you've got to, get, you've got to start at some place re- other than just quoting Scripture to these folks. And just to share, you, uh, share with you a little bit about how I see God working in this this morning after first service, um, we, and we're just kind of, everybody's talking and everything. Um, a couple of Chinese folks came down to talk to me and meet me, and it was wonderful. One of them is a, a university professor who is a visiting scholar here in Dallas right now. And a couple of weeks, she's going to go back to China, back to her university. And I told her this morning, I just looked at her in the eyes and met Zhao, and I said, hey, it's so good to meet you. And I, I hope that you encounter God and that you grow in your faith. And she said, I'm seeking she said, I'm seeking. And I thought that was great. And then Marilyn Patterson, one of our members, is her good friend and sharing faith. And another Chinese, a young man came up to me and I got to meet him. And then others just came who are seeking answers and who are opening their hearts up to God and finding reasons to believe. We began last week um, by talking about morality, <laughs> talking about the nature of right and wrong and how objective morality is hardwired into the hearts of man and that constitutes a very good reason for the existence of God because where did that come from? Last week we looked at sociologists and anthropologists telling us that across cultures, across continents, across centuries and even across religions, there is this set of, of common objective moral beliefs, things that we know are right and wrong. The Bible has an explanation for that. It tells us in the first chapter of the Bible that you and I were made in the image of God, that, that the heart of God, the mind of God is, 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 is built in. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, a Muslim or a Christian, whether you live in Africa or Asia or the United States, that it's built in, this, this understanding of right and wrong. And then Romans chapter 2 told us that, that he has burned onto the hearts of Gentiles. I, and I think of that like a hard drive. It's just burned on there. This sense of, from, from even the laws of nature, the existence uh, of the divinity. And so we talked about that last week. The, the sermon is on the, the internet. I'm not doing it justice now. Get on there listen to that. This morning, though, as we continue to look to the fields of philosophy and science... I believe that we are going to find them pointing to a scripture this morning. And so Genesis 1 verse 1, the very first words in, in the Bible, they tell us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the beginning of the universe. And for many people just saying, God did it, I believe it, that's enough. Well, that's not enough for a lot of people. They don't even believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture. It may work for you, that's great, but it's kind of begging the question when you're talking to a skeptic, when you're talking to an unbeliever. And so let's leave the text for a moment and let's consider scientific theory, the going theory as to the beginnings of what we know to be the universe. Um, 
Scientists don't necessarily like this, but it caught on somewhere decades ago, and so it's now known as the Big Bang Theory. I'm not talking about your favorite television show. I'm talking about that scientific theory, the Big Bang Theory. And so they have an account of the beginning of the universe that is not appealing to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but it kind of sounds a lot like it in some ways because the theory posits that the universe began not in some gradual process, but in this sudden, violent moment. The universe, one second is not there, the next second it is there. The universe pops into existence. Within the past two weeks, in fact, a major scientific discovery has occurred which lends more support to the Big Bang Theory. Last week, CNN um, science journalist Elizabeth Landau reported, there's no way for us to know exactly what happened some 13.8 billion years ago when our universe burst onto the scene, but scientists announced Monday a breakthrough in understanding how our world as we know it came to be. If the discovery holds up to scrutiny, it's evidence of how the universe rapidly expanded. Now here we go. Rapidly expanded less than a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. The short version of what happened is there is this this giant telescope on the South Pole called the BICEP-2. It is studying, studying the far reaches of the universe, and it detected for the first time gravitational waves in the universe that were theorized they should be there as a result of the Big Bang. Well, now they're not only theory, we're actually seeing that they are there. And so for years, the explanatory power of the Big Bang Theory gave it a leg up on other scientific accounts as to how the universe or when the universe began or whether it began. A guy named Hubble, we'll talk about him in a little bit, first saw it in, in, evidence of it in the redshift, the actual uh, stretching of expanding of light waves. Um, the New York Times, March 17th this month, reported this. Our observable universe mushroomed in size at least a trillion trillion fold in less than a cosmic eye blink. Now, I'm not suggesting that the events of the last couple of weeks somehow prove the existence of God, but the notion that the universe popped into existence all of a sudden certainly jibes with what we have in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God made. Now, I'm convinced that science and faith are not at odds with each other. I'm convinced that not only are they not opposed to each other, but they tell a harmonious story about our world. Now, we don't have time this morning. This would be a whole other thing that might be better on a Sunday night. We don't have time to debunk the atheist myth the atheist lie that science and religion have traditionally been at war with one another. So I'll quote Dinesh D'Souza, who wrote in his New York Times bestseller, historians are virtually unanimous in holding that the whole science versus religion story is a 19th century fabrication. In other words, just kind of made up. Now, if you go cherry-picking through centuries of science and religion, yeah, You'll find some religious authorities and some scientific figures who didn't get along, but that is not the story. In fact, 
if you begin to look through history at scientists who believed in God, you will find a who's who of movers and shakers in the scientific community that not only believed in God, but spoke about it, but wrote about it. Okay? And I could list a whole bunch of, of people you know throughout the centuries who you would recognize who are movers, but that's what Google is for, so do that. I will tell you in graduate school, one of the guys I studied, and he may be a little more obscure than, than some of them, but one of the guys I studied was a guy named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. He was a German mathematician and a German philosopher who was best known or is best known as being the inventor of calculus, which is not exactly something that makes me a big fan of his, but he was the inventor of calculus. And he saw God in mathematical concepts. And he wrote extensively about how he found the biblical God in the concepts of mathematics. And while he sees God in mathematics, I've tended to see more of a, a, a pitchfork and horn sort of thing when I go to mathematics, but that's okay. But right now, there are plenty of PhDs in fields of science in all the fields of science, who believe in God. And sure, there are plenty in the fields of science who don't believe in God. The question for you, the, question for me, the relevant question is, what will I do with the evidence? What will I do with the arguments? Um, and so that's where we're at this morning. Anyway, wait, uh, back to the Big Bang. Here's the upshot. The universe came into existence in an instant. The universe, all that is, came out of nothing. Before the Big Bang, there was nothing. That isn't my theological view. That's not preacher talk. That is the current default view of the scientific community. Cosmologists, um, uh, as astronomers, that is their default view with respect to the Big Bang. Paul Davies, a physicist at the University of Arizona, at Arizona State University, wrote, The coming into being of the universe, as discussed in modern science, is not just a matter of imposing some sort of organization upon a previously incoherent state, but literally, these are his words, but literally, the coming into being of all physical things from nothing. The coming into being of all physical things from nothing. Alexander Vilenkin, professor of physics and the director of the Institute of Cosmology, not cosmetology, not a beauty school in Akron, okay? Institute of Cosmology at Tufts University wrote this. It is said that an argument is what convinces reasonable men, and a proof is what it takes to convince even an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide between the possibility of a past eternal universe, like, it, like stuff, matter, it just goes back forever. They can't hide behind that. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Sir Anthony Kinney of Oxford says, as a proponent, uh, a proponent of the Big Bang Theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the universe came from nothing and by nothing. So the universe began suddenly, a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. It's been expanding ever since. 
the universe, something, a very, very big something came from nothing. Lawrence Krauss, theoretical physicist, a self-described not only atheist, but he calls himself an anti-theist, an attacker of faith. Um, you may have seen him on the Colbert Report or other things. He's one of these more popular speaker, uh, atheist speakers that's out there. Uh, he wrote something that I agree very much with, and I think it's a really good starting point for thinking about the evidence for God. He writes, A truly open mind means forcing our imaginations to conform to the evidence of reality and not vice versa, whether or not we like the implications. So he says, start with the evidence. Open yourself to the evidence. Then conform your beliefs to that evidence. I could not agree more. This morning, the evidence that we're going to look to comes through the field of astronomy, of cosmology. And it is about the nature of the universe. This is the argument of beginnings. This is on your sermon outline this morning in the bulletin. You can fill this out if you would like. The argument of beginnings for the existence of God. It's very simple. It's very simple and very profound. Number one... Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Therefore, necessarily, number three, the universe has a cause. It's a very old argument. Probably goes back all the way to a fellow named Aristotle who talked about an unmoved mover, the cause of everything that, that is. Um, was that God? Or was that some sort of superpotent nothing? out of which a universe popped? Or is there some other explanation? Don't, don't worry, we'll get to that. So first, premise one, whatever begins to exist, remember, God is spirit. God is without beginning. But whatever begins to exist in the physical world, the world we, we experience in a tangible sort of way, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. It's pretty much a given for anyone seeking a truth. It's pretty much an underlying doctrine of, of, of science that we can follow a chain of events and discover more about the nature of things. If you watch CSI, if you watch a crime show on television, what you're going to find is generally the episode starts out with, oh, there's a dead body, all right? And the rest of the episode is going back through this chain of evidence to try to find out scientifically, empirically, looking at the data... What happened to this person? When did it happen? How did it happen? And of course, on a crime show, who did it? All right? And that's what we, we believe about the things that we see, that they are caused. They are caused. Malaysia Air Flight 370. We're still trying to figure out what happened to that airplane. Supposed to go from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Along the way, it disappeared. And when we say disappear, when we talk about that, we don't mean that it just, boop, zapped out of existence. We mean something happened. We don't know what happened. And so was it a hijacking? 
Did somebody take control of the plane and bring it down? Was the plane stolen somehow and flown off to some remote, uh, des- some remote airfield? We haven't found it yet, but the plane was stolen. Was, was it the pilots? Did they bring the plane down? Or did, they, did they do what happened to that plane? But we believe that there is, reasonable people do, there's a cause for the disappearance of Flight 370, and we are hopeful that we can find the cause to that, to claim that something, though, to claim that something came from nothing, well, that's, that's nuts. That's nuts. I mean, that's worse than magic. When a magician makes the rabbit disappear, at least you're starting with a magician and, and a hat. But for something to come out of nothing, that is a very unscientific way of thinking the foundation of rational thought says that for everything that begins to exist, there is a cause for the existence. If things are coming in and out of existence uncaused, then we don't really have any grounding for scientific study. But we do science, we can do science, because we understand that events are caused and that whatever begins to exist has a cause. Okay. So if you deny premise one... Um, And only if you deny premise one can you think that the whole universe appeared at some point for no reason whatsoever, for no cause whatsoever. But again, no one really believes that things come to exist without a cause. Uh, I haven't encountered anyone who believed, you know, a mobile home, a burrito, an aardvark, they just kind of appeared without any sort of, of cause. Things that begin to exist have a cause. So, number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. And for a long time, the second premise was the one that, that would have really been open to debate by a lot of people uh, because the universe for, for some time was seen in certain communities um, as, as having existed eternally. Like there was no beginning point for the universe. Uh, We said in the first premise that what begins to exist has a cause. If the universe is eternal, well, it really wouldn't need a cause. And there are some pretty big flaws with the idea that the universe uh, existed eternally. Originally, I was going to talk a whole bunch about the theoretical impossibility of, of the infinite uh, I know the possibility of the infinite, but the actual impossibility. Mathematicians have debated this for a long time. I mean, for example, if you just had an infinite line of dominoes laid out, all right, and, and I'm just going to kind of look at, at I'm going to wait for this particular domino right here to fall, it will never fall. It will never fall because there's an infinite number of dominoes in front of it. Okay? Um, I can suddenly bloop, take, down, take out all of the odd-numbered dominoes. It still won't ever fall because there's still an infinite number. I can take out 50% of the remaining dominoes. It still won't fall because there's still an... In- anyway, that's, anyway, I know that. That's mathematical. It's the debate of the, of the conceptual infinite versus the actual infinite. And it's, it's kind of a problem if you believe that the, the actual universe existed eternally. We don't have any, anything in nature that, that, is, that would be like, it would be a one-of-a-kind exceptional sort of thing. But like we talked about earlier, the scientific data is pointing to the truth that, no, it had a beginning point roughly 13.8 billion years ago. Um, if you're going to take current scientific theory, um, it began to exist. So 
So the hard empirical data, and I guess hard empirical data would not be the right phrase to use of Albert Einstein, a theoretical physicist. But he kind of laid the framework for the hard empirical data that we're finding with his general theory of relativity, which was launched back in about 1917. Um, he postulated that either the universe is imploding upon itself, it's collapsing inward, or more likely it is expanding outward, one of the two. And in either scenario, there had to be a point A, a start point for that, he postulated. And, begin, and people begin to make observations through telescopes and, and theoretical physics and, and astronomy. They begin to make observations that validated that theory. Hubble saw the redshift. So looking at, at galaxies very distant, there is, they appear to be red, which is explained by a stretching of light waves, that there is this expansion of the universe. That's why they, things that are very distant look redder than things that are closer to us. More and more data has been pouring in, pointing the Big Bang, culminating with the discovery just a couple of weeks ago of these gravitational waves that we're finding in our universe. So this now standard Big Bang model predicts an absolute beginning of the universe. So not only is premise two logically necessary, the dominoes, but it is also um, shown by the accumulation of scientific data that's pouring in. So back to this argument from the beginning for God's existence. One, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe, number two, began to exist... So three, therefore the universe has a cause. Aha! Now we are beginning, we're not to God yet, I know, but we're beginning to see what Alexander Vilenkin meant when he said in that quote earlier, quote, cosmologists can no longer hide between the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. It's a problem. It's a big problem. It's a universe-sized problem. If the universe began, then it must have had a cause. But there was nothing there. At the Big Bang, matter was born. Time was born. The laws of nature were born. There was no gravity back when there was nothing. <laughs> there was no inertia back when there was nothing. So what in this nothing caused the universe to exist? Vilenkin is right. It's a problem. It's a problem. Especially if you don't accept the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was the cause. And you know it's a problem... When really smart people start saying really dumb things, okay? Really smart guy, Daniel Dennett, philosopher, he says, yeah, atheist philosopher, he says, yeah, the universe has a cause. He says, the universe caused itself. Yeah, it sounds kind of nutty, doesn't it? It's a logical contradiction. It's worse than weird. It's a logical contradiction. If the universe brought itself into being, then the universe would have had to have already existed before the universe got started. Yeah, Vilenkin, you're right. It's a problem. Something 
coming from nothing. And so the universe began. The universe must have had a cause. The big question is, so what? Does this point to God? Does this point to Genesis 1-1? Yes, it does in four very important ways. First of all, this is on the outline this morning, the cause was transcendent. That means uncaused, outside of, of the laws of the universe, all right? The cause was transcendent because an infinite series, think dominoes, of causes is not possible. If an infinite series of things has to happen before I clap my hands, I can never clap my hands. Because an infinite series is, is, is before, I'll never get to that point. If an infinite series of things has to happen before the universe occurs, the universe never occurs. Can't happen. That infinite series of things will never, you'll never get to point A. Universe exists. So the cause was transcendent or uncaused. It did not have a beginning. And an uncaused cause must exist outside of space and time since it itself created space and time. So the second thing here, the cause was immaterial or non-physical. It has to be no thing. There was nothing, so it has to be no thing. It existed outside of time and space. God is nothing. Now hear me on this. Don't think blasphemy here. God is nothing. He is no thing. Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. He's spirit. He's not a, a thing. He's not, oh, there's God. There's God. Oh, I think I see Him. God is spirit. He's non-material. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the universe. Something came from nothing. And that's the going theory known as Big Bang Theory. Something came from nothing, no thing. Non-material. Non-physical, a spirit, a mind. And quite obviously, the third bullet point here, the cause was unimaginably powerful since it created all matter and all energy. This cause had to be unbelievably powerful. So we're not just talking about, if we're talking about God here, we're not just talking about any God, okay? I mean, you can't, like, look at the Greek-Roman gods who, who had weaknesses, who had frailties, um, who were constantly bickering and fighting with each other, who were very much limited. You must be looking at something like the God of the Bible. In fact, were you aware that 345 times in the Bible, God is referred to as being almighty. Almighty. Finally, our argument from beginnings points to God as the cause of the universe because the cause was a personal agent. Since only a mind could fit all of the above descriptions of the first cause, a personal agent, a being capable of a decision, a mind. Because if you just had this static nothingness out there, the universe never happens. 
It's static. There had to be a, a decision point out of which nothing came something. And you may be thinking, hey, hold on, big guy. Whoa there, that's, that's, that's a personal agent, a mind. I mean, the, the argument from beginnings makes some philosophical sense and everything, but Gordon, you are not a scientist, and you're right. I, I am not a scientist, and that's why I'm quoting a lot of scientists this morning, and I'm going to quote a few more if you'll indulge me. But, but the question is this, what if science is pointing to Genesis 1-1? And I'm not saying they even know it, all right? I'm not saying that all scientists are, oh, the Bible's true. They may or may not know it, but what if... The body of research that's coming out about the nature of the universe, the beginning of the universe, what if that really is pointing to Genesis 1-1? In the first half of the 20th century, and we're still unraveling all that, that this means, and we're still looking at particle accelerators and, and, and the God particle and all this stuff now, but, but the guy who started all of it was a guy named Max Planck. He was a German theoretical physicist who revolutionized the world of science by coming up with what's known as quantum theory. Pretty smart guy. A lot smarter than me. He wrote these words, As a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about atoms this much, there is nothing... There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Now, one of the popular phrases that's used today to discredit um, theism, the belief in God, is to say, well, it, it, you're just, it's God of the gaps. Have you heard that God of the gaps? Like, people believe in God just because there's still a whole lot of stuff out there that hasn't been explained. And so, God is kind of the putty that we throw in there to fill in our gaps in knowledge. But as science discovers more and more, fills in more of the gaps, you will no longer need God. But perhaps the more the gaps in human knowledge are filled in, perhaps the more we're learning gravitational waves over there, the universe had a beginning, reg, perhaps the more that we are learning, the more the arrows are pointing to God. And Lawrence Krauss said, the atheist, remember, he said, a truly open mind means forcing our imaginations to conform to the evidence of reality and not vice versa, whether or not we like the implications. And you may never have seriously considered the possibility that Genesis 1 verse 1 is true. You may not like the implications for whatever personal reasons or whatever's gone on in your life, you may not like the implications that Genesis 1-1 is true. But it's more than reasonable given all of the evidence. Arno Penzias is a fellow who won a Nobel Prize. And he concluded 
this physicist based on the evidence that he saw. Astronomy leads us to a unique event. A universe which was created out of nothing. One with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life. And one which has an underlying, these are his words, not mine, an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Nobel Prize winning physicist. Again, I'm not trying to kill you with quotations here, okay? But I'm not a scientist. And I don't want you to think I'm playing fast and truth with all this. The universe came out of nothing. The Big Bang supports... I, I mean, it's not, it's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, the, to these men and women of science, and it leads me to... <laughs> this is one of my favorite all-time quotations outside of the Bible, okay? So get ready. And in Dr. Robert Jastrow. He taught natural sciences at Dartmouth, and then he, he gained fame at NASA as, as one of the lead scientists at NASA. In fact, founded the Goddard Space Institute, which you've probably heard of, Dr. Robert Jastrow. And he looks at all of the information that had been coming in through, through what we know about the universe, what we see and observe around the universe, and he wrote these words. <laughs> he said, this is an exceedingly strange development. Unexpected by all but the theologians. You can see why I like this quote. Unexpected by all but the theologians. They have always accepted the word of the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. But for the science who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> Look, some of us believe because we just honestly... We've seen God work in our lives. Um, we have experienced in a tangible, personal way God at work in our lives. Maybe you've lost a loved one and God comforted you. He was the only reason you were able to get through that morning, that grieving. Get out the other side. Or you've struggled with a, with a long-term illness and God has been there. He's answered your prayers and he has, he has lifted you up. But somehow, personally, you've, he's real because you just, you're in relationship with him and you see him at work in your life. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And some of you have found faith in the scriptures. I mean, you were not a person of faith, but the more you began to read this interesting book the more you heard the Spirit speaking into your life. You heard God speaking into your life situation and you found His reality through that experience. And some of you have found God and have found reasons to believe by <laughs> just sitting and staring at a Texas sunset. Or traveling like my family did a couple of weeks ago to the Grand Canyon and just going, wow. 
or through the power of a, of a summer thunderstorm or through the, the spiritual experience of being in the delivery room and seeing your first child come into the world and you've said, yeah, there's, there's a God. Others in this congregation see God through their study, through the lens of a microscope, or study of mathematics. They encounter His design, they encounter His presence in the world through their scholarly studies. Or maybe you're at a place, though, today, where frankly you're not looking for God. Just not looking. And my prayer for you, on bended knee, my hope for you, is that is that you will open yourself up to searching. Like that Chinese professor told me this morning, I'm, I'm seeking. That you'll seek. That you'll open your mind and begin to encounter the evidence that's out there for God. Or maybe you're looking, but you haven't found reasons for faith. And I, I certainly hope this series helps you find some things that you can hold on, that you can build from and come into Scripture and encounter the God of the Bible. Or perhaps you are coming into faith. It's an exciting time. Most of us, perhaps all of us, had this moment where, where there are doubts and there are struggles, and I don't know if I believe or not. And, and at some point, it's this amazing, life-filling experience of finally saying, I do believe. And maybe that's where you're at, and you're ready to take that step of faith on, on your faith journey and we would encourage you to do that this morning. Publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord. Acknowledge all that He won for you because God not only created the universe, God sent His Son into this piece of, onto this piece of rock to save you, to redeem you, and to show you how much He loves and cares for you. You can take that step today, acknowledging Him, walking into Him and saying, God, I believe. But... According to the very first verse of the Bible, our God is a God of beginnings. And so I guess I would finish with this thought. Um, do you need a beginning? God is an expert in beginnings. Do you need a beginning? Is there a place in your life where you just need to hit the reboot button, restart, New beginning. God is a God of beginnings. And the same universe creating power that began the universe. The same resurrection power that took the dead corpse of Jesus Christ and raised him to life on the third day. That power is still at work. And God wants to give you your new beginning. However you need to respond this morning, let's stand together. Let's worship God together.